But with that, let's pray, and we'll get into Mark chapter 9. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, um, for the story of Mark that is unfolding before our eyes. Uh, Lord, we've, uh, in, in recent weeks, we've had some challenging, convicting passages. And, and so, Lord, we pray that you would help us um, to, to keep our eyes on Christ. Um, Lord, we pray for each person that's here. Uh, Lord, we we each are in different places in our spiritual journey with you. And so, Father, I pray that your word by your spirit would speak and convict to each one of us as we need to be spoken to. Lord, I pray that we would yield more and more of our lives to you, um, that we would experience the blessing of knowing you uh, and walking confidently with you uh, throughout our days. Father, we pray that you would help us um, to, to grow in our dependency upon you and that we would, we would just really align our lives in a way that we would bring glory to you and that we would honor you with all that we do, all that we think, all that we are. Um, and I, I know that not all of us are there in desiring that. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us in our journey with you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Uh, Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy had become, the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that you would guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. 
Amen. All right, so <clears throat> verse 14, as we begin, when they, when they came back to the disciples, this, is, this sort of sets the stage, where, where are we in the Gospel of Mark? So we have, we have the map. This is really a, a part, I think it's a part three. Um, it's probably much longer than a part three. But the story begins that from Capernaum, uh, the, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, they made their journey up north to where the red underline is, and that's Caesarea Philippi. And we're told that as they made their way there, Jesus was asking the disciples questions about who, who do people say that he is? Um, uh, what's the talk about Jesus? And, and so they had responded with a number of different answers. All seemed to be very Jewish in their answers. So some said um, that he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Um, some said that he was Elijah. And others said, that, well, he's just... He's one of the Old Testament prophets. Well, they wouldn't have said Old Testament prophets. They would have just said prophets. And, and so then Jesus continues the questioning and says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you know, you're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and basically, Jesus says, you got it correct. And, and on this profession, I'm going to build my church, that I am the Christ. It happened up in Caesarea Philippi, which is this huge um, rock cliff structure and out of it. A spring came out, one of the, the headwaters for the Jordan River. Um, it was a huge uh, pagan site that they believed was sort of um, the entrance from the, the god of, of, of Pan that would come up. And a hugely uh, pagan area. And so Jesus then, from that point, begins to communicate to the disciples this new message. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, it makes it really clear um, if you follow Matthew all the way up to this, this section, Jesus' me- message is on the, the kingdom of God, that, he, that he's talking about the coming kingdom. But at this profession, at this mark in, in, in the gospel, he begins to share with them about the cross and that he must go to suffer, um, that he must go to be executed, that he would be killed, and that he would raise on the third day. And so at, at that mention... Uh, Peter had a difficult time with it, and as they all did, this wasn't the Messiah that they were anticipating, and so we're told that, that Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter, uh, because you don't rebuke Jesus, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, and, and so really the, the focus of the rest of Mark is heading towards the cross, and so this is going to be our last week in Mark. Um, in December, we're going to take a break, and we're going to go to the beginning of Luke, because it, it seems you know, weird focusing on the cross as December is about focusing on the, the first advent of Christ. And so we're going to take uh, a couple weeks off just to focus on the first advent. Um, but Jesus says, listen, like, I, this, is, this, is the, this is God's plan. Um, I'm going to be crucified. We're told in Mark that he was speaking to them plainly. And he said, you know, some of you, there are some here that will see the kingdom of God before they taste death. And from that point, they made their way up north where the arrow is. To Mount Hermon, um, not Mount Tabor. I, I don't believe, in my humble opinion, I believe it makes most sense, and, and a lot of scholars today believe that it was Mount Hermon. The traditional site was Mount Tabor um, that they thought, but it just it doesn't seem to make sense in the flow of the story. And they go up to Mount Hermon, and as they were there, Jesus is transfigured. We're told that he be, that his his radiance began to, to shine through. We're told that his clothing beca- became white. Um, as Mark uniquely says, as, as no launderer could get it white. Um, 
And all of a sudden, there's Elijah and Moses standing with Jesus, having a conversation. Uh, Luke tells us that the conversation was about the cross and what was going to happen in Jerusalem and what was coming. And through that, a voice comes out of heaven from the Father and says, this is my son, Listen, listen to him. And so this is the mountaintop experience. And they come down from the mountain. And this is where we pick up. When they came back to the disciples, they are met with a total explosion of, of, of stuff. There's the, the crowds. They meet the disciples. They saw a large crowd around them, the disciples. And some scribes are arguing with them. And so this, this is the classic mountaintop experience back down to the valley Uh, Monday morning for Jesus, so to speak. It's like, what happened? Like, what did you guys do while I was away? Uh, This this just argument. The scribes are there. The the nine disciples that are remaining, things have just sort of totally unraveled on them. And as they see this, we're told in, in verse 15, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, that's Jesus, they were amazed and they began reading running to greet him. And so, so they come to this, oh, something's going on. They all see Jesus. They run to Jesus. And then he asks them, what are you discussing with them? Um, the, the language in the Greek here is, is like, hey, what's, what's this argument about? Like, what's, it's not like, hey, what are you guys discussing? It's like, what's this tension all about? What's the argument concerning? And we're told in verse 17 that one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I, I brought you my son. Um, so there's a man that we're going to learn a little bit more about his story, but his aim was to bring his son to Jesus. Jesus was gone. He finds the bulk of the disciples, but his intention was to bring his son to Jesus. And we learned that he was uh, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, It slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And so you have this this explanation that's very matter of fact. Jesus says, what's going on? What's this discussion about? And the guy says, I started it. I came here with my boy. I, I came to bring him to you. And he begins to explain the, the nature of the situation with his, his son. Many commentators um, question if this, this potentially could have been like a, a, a grand mal seizure. There's no question grand mal seizure. Um, uh, like ep- epilepsy, historically, there was a lot of, um, confu- like not confusion, but, but they, they attributed... Um, uh, epilepsy and these seizures to demon possession. Um, the, the text clearly says it was a, a demon, but this is sort of the, 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 the picture. I'll never forget the first time that I witnessed somebody having a grand mal seizure. It's only happened to me once. And it's a terrifying, it's a, just a terrifying thing. And, and for me, I was skiing. I, find my, I found myself up in uh, Bear Valley, and I was in the, this, you know, the lift line to go up about two pairs back. And the guy that's helping people get on the chairlifts just has a, to, a, 
not catastrophic. I, I have no idea what the outcome was, but he just went into the seizure on the snow as the, you know, the chairs are, are going. Um, horrifying. I mean, while, while they're trying to help this guy, trying to take control, everybody was afraid. Um, it, it went on for what seemed like an eternity, was probably you know, five minutes or so. And then eventually, you know, the whole situation left with him flying out on a life flight to, to go away. And, and the reason I bring up this experience is because it's so easy to read through these few verses of what this father's describing and lose, like, lose sight of just the desperateness of the situation and the, the helplessness and the, the horror of, of the whole situation. Like, this is terrible. This is a father bringing his boy to the Lord with these, he says, listen, he can't, my boy can't speak. When, when this possession happens, he, it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, he's foaming at the mouth, he's grinding his teeth, his body is stiff, and I told your disciples and they couldn't do anything. And in verse 19, Jesus seems to address the whole crowd like, I'm not, there's a lot of people that have like, I don't, it doesn't seem that he's speaking to the Father. Um, it seems that he's kind of speaking to the disciples and the, the surrounding crowd. And he answers them and he said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Everybody describes this whole scene, the, the three parts that we've described, the going up to the mountain and then coming down. It's an uncanny uh, relationship or resemblance to, to Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. You know, he goes up onto the hill. He encounters God. It's a very glorious situation. He comes down. He's, he's glowing kind of thing, like he's been in the presence of the Lord. And then what happened when he gets down? When he gets down, there's all of Israel. Moses has been gone for long enough, and now there's a, a big, huge golden calf, and they're worshiping it. And Moses has the brand new Ten Commandments, you know, and he slams them down. He gets furious with them. He, you know, I don't want to say it's a temper tantrum, but he definitely loses his cool in epic proportions because then he, what does he do? He takes the golden calf. He breaks it all down to where it's dust, and then he puts the dust into the water and makes them all drink it. So it's pretty, I mean, it's kind of a cool story of uh, disciplining the people of Israel. And so there seems to be this, like, he came down, had this experience, Jesus comes down, here are the people, like everything's sort of unraveled. Um, th there seems to be a desperate man. I don't, I don't think that this is aimed at the Father so much, but but the disciples, their like helplessness, their, I don't know what they did in trying to help this boy, um, but, but somehow from helping this boy, it goes from helping the boy to arguing with the scribes and, and this big fight is, has exploded and it seems like nobody cares about the little boy. And so in verse 20, we're told that they brought the boy to him. And when, when they, he saw him, so when the boy or the spirit within him sees Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground, 
he began rolling around and foaming at the boy at the mouth. And so here the boy, as he's presented to Jesus, he goes into the actual scene of what the father described. And there's something about verse 21 that I just love. Because as this scene is happening, there seems to be a compassion and calmness on the side of Jesus as he looks at the scene of this young boy. We're told that he asks the father, how long has this been happening? Like, like there's, there, there, I almost sense this, this intimacy. Um, there's the big crowd, but it's a moment almost just between Jesus and this father of, of just compassion. He says, from childhood. It gets often thrown him, both into the fire and into the water and, and, and highlight or circle to, to destroy him. When I see that word to destroy him, this seems to be the whole purpose of demonic activity, sinfulness. We're told in the beginning of creation that man was created in the image of God. And since sin entered the world, there seems to be this this attack on the image of God. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a whole lot of notes here, but I've just been sort of thinking. Um, you know, I, I think of young kids that are enticed to go down the, the road of like alcohol and then drugs and and to, to see where that leads. Um, if you don't know where it leads, I encourage like every citizen is allowed to do like one ride along a year with law enforcement, like, like if you're an adult. And go see like the street, like go look at a life that's like been just destroyed through drugs and alcohol. It, it's, it's a terribly sad thing to see these individuals and, and it's, this is an attack on the image of God and you can go so many different directions. I think of lives that have been destroyed, that have been tempted by going a direction of uh, like sexuality, something that God created for good in the context of marriage to see people going down a road of with sexuality that's not the way that God intended and to see the destruction and havoc that it wreaks on, on the individuals and families. Like all of these things that just lead to like a ruined life. It's like, and the way that my week has been going to be there on Tuesday over Pete's body with his family to this couple that they were married like when they were 16 and 17 and then they've lived their lives for God in a very honorable way. Um, against culture, against society, but then to be there at the end with Pete or his body just to see the fruit of a life that's been lived well for the Lord. There's a, there's a, there's a beauty within the sadness. And so here this father recognizes that there's been this attack spiritually against his son that's just simply trying to kill him, whether it's by throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the water. And he says, but if you can do anything, 
take pity on us. He says, please have pity on us. Help us. Now he, he does... He does say the one phrase that seems to get him in a little bit of trouble. I, this, is, this is one of those passages I, I wish that we could hear Jesus' tone. We, we could hear and see how he actually responded. Because I, I, I tend to think that we look at Jesus' response and we, we take it more harshly than it. Uh, like, I don't know. But he says, but if you can do anything. And Jesus said to him, if, if you can. Like, I don't know if this is a, a snippy, like, if you can, if I can. Like, no, that's not, that's not the Jesus that we know. Like, I, I think that there has to, has to be a response and a look in Jesus' eye of, like, assurance. Like, I can't, like, if I can't, of course. My, my week, you know, got spun out and like the one I like I'm sure it's just a regular if but I'm I'm really curious about the class condition in the Greek and I and I don't know it off the top of my head like how like Jesus said if and it is like I suspect that it is that way that he's saying of course I can like all things are possible to him who believes um this I think that the second part of this verse has been super misabused by the word of faith movement um, that basically say you can just name it and claim it. Like whatever you want, like if you got enough faith, then it's yours. And I, that's not what this passage is saying. Like I, I've just heard of, of terrible things, you know, a, a diet, like, Diet, what is it, type 1 diabetes, like where you, like you have to take your medicine, of them saying, oh, that I was told I was healed, so I stopped taking my medication. And then it's like however long before the body starts like collapsing, they go back to the person that um, told them that they were healed, and they say, oh, you just didn't have enough faith. And it's like, buddy, I stopped taking my medicine. <laughs> like that's, um, I think that the issue here that Jesus, like this isn't about the faith. It's, I, I mean, it is about the faith. Um, the, the, the factor in this is the object of the faith. So this is, this is a question like, is Jesus able? Of course Jesus is able. Um, whether your faith is a mustard seed and you barely can see how he can do everything, but if your faith is in the object of Jesus... He has the capacity to, to heal. Sometimes in his sovereignty, I say a lot of times in his sovereignty, he, he, he chooses not to heal for reasons that we might not be able to understand in the, in the, mo- the moment. But he looks at this man who's been dealing with his son since childhood with something that nobody can help him with. He comes to Jesus, Jesus isn't there, and he goes to the disciples, and the disciples, we already have seen in Mark, they were sent out two by two. They had Jesus' authority to heal and to do various things, and they've been doing these things. And so I suspect that when they see this little boy, they just sort of super confidently, like in their own abilities, said, oh, sure, we can heal this boy, we can do all this stuff, and it didn't go according to plan, which then opens up the door for the scribes to start attacking them. And they're just like like so far out of their element. And then this dad is like, he just wants his boy helped. 
He said, I went to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. And like, please have pity on me if you can do anything. And Jesus like, time out. Like, if, if I can, I can. All things are possible to him who believes. Like, I, I have the capacity to do this. And in verse 24, the boy, his father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. This, this is one of those verses that's a great one to memorize. Um, I, I love what Swindoll said. He said his, his plea is a paradox that almost every Christian can appreciate. He says, oh, I'm like, almost everyone? I think every... Like, this isn't, this isn't like a conflict here. There's like, you have faith, but there, there are situations in life that are, that are overwhelming where our, our faith is, it struggles. Like, we, we believe, but then there's this, I, Lord, I just don't see how this is all going to work itself out, and I'm just overwhelmed. And I love the prayer of this man. And, and this prayer is just so encouraging t- to me, and I hope it is to you, that this is like, if you're ever in those moments, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, like I want to fully trust, but in this life and everything that's going on right now, I just don't see how it's going to work out. And so then we go to verse 25. And as this is all happening, this, this crowd is, is rapidly growing. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, it's like he's like, okay, let's just, get all, let's just take care of this before this big crowd. We don't need more drama. We just need to keep it calm. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you. Two things he commands them. Come out of the boy and don't enter him again. Get out and stay out. And after crying out and, and throwing him into terrible convulsions, so the seizures r- ramp up. It gets very violent. And then there's the departure of, of the spirit. It came out. And the boy became much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. Now many p- pointed out that in the following a grand mal seizure, like the tiredness that follows from the, the, the physical exhaustion of, of the event, it, 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 it's hard to explain. Um, but but the, the verbiage here is either like the boy actually did die, it, although it doesn't seem like he actually died, but it, it said like he appeared that he was dead. Like this is total exhaustion. And the reason they think it could die is the language of Jesus getting up. This is the same language of, of Jairus' daughter when he said, little girl, wake up. Um, but Jesus took him by the hand and he raised him up and he got up. And, and the situation is dealt with. And then we come to verse 28. And I think that verse 28 is the key to the passage. The, verse, the last two verses here, I think in all of this, this is grooming of the disciples who Jesus is working on. And so when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Um, 
so the disciples are really confused. They've, they've, they've healed people. They were set on their mission. They did all of these things, and they had Jesus' authority. Um, and sort of like the whole uh, looking at it backwards, like the answer that Jesus gives them is like, hey, this, this kind can't come out by anything but prayer, which then begs the question, like, well, what did they do? <laughs> like, what? Well, you know, I look at this and I would have thought that they would have like been laying their hands on the boy, praying, asking God to deliver this boy. But it doesn't seem like that that's where they were and what they've been doing up to this point. Which is why I think when the father came with the son and the nine disciples were there, like, I don't know what they, I, like, I, were they just talking, saying, hey, get out of the boy? Do they touch it? Like, were they doing things on their own strength? Because the disciples seem gen- like, like, what did we do wrong? Like, how, like how, how is it that you just got it out? Because even, even in Jesus's, we're just told that he rebuked the unclean spirit and he said, get out and stay out. We don't say that, see that Jesus had this like big prayer over the boy. Like it was like he just rebukes it. And I think that these guys were probably getting a little too big for their britches, and they were thinking, like, they can just do stuff. And Jesus reminded like, no, any authority that you have, it's delegated from me. And you need me in order to, to do this. It, you, you need prayer. You need to be connected to the vine. And I do think that there's a lesson in this story for dependency upon God. And they lost it, they, or they hadn't learned it yet, this, this need that they truly were dependent on him f- for everything. So like when we pray before the, the service, when we pray after the service, um, when we pray for various things, like my greatest fear is that we just like um, pr- pr- pray meaningless prayers, like, oh, we got it, this is the prayer time. So, let, you know, um, I think praying for food makes me the most nervous because it tends to be like, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Like we're, you know, like let's just kind of get on with the main thing here. And, and there almost seems to be like, there's, there's a concern in my heart over that when, when there's like, no, we need God for everything. You're going to preach a message, you need to be wrestling with God and, and, and praying and seeking him. You're going through life, you need to be praying and seeking him. For we can do nothing apart from him. And, and, and so I think that's the heart of this, is we need God's provision. Like we're desperate for his, we're desperate for his provision. Um, we see a, a compassionate and kind God who, who's loving, who meets the need of the Father, who listens to the Father. Um, he tells the Father, you know, you need just all things are possible. Like seek me, uh, cry out to me. And I think as we generally cry out to God, there are things that we have big concerns about that sometimes like the condition of our heart changes to where it's like, okay, either this or that will happen. I, um, you know, I see the Ongs that are here. We're super excited for them to be here. And we've all been praying for Anne and her cancer and to see their journey. And we rejoice that the cancer's gone. Uh, and we can clap. You know, I know there's some people that want to clap. But but I but I know that the I know the Ongs well enough 
that regardless of the outcome, they're going to praise God and be grateful like if he didn't take it away. You know, we praise God that he did, but Lord, we're going to give you glory regardless of the outcome because you're in control. And if you didn't take it away, that means that you're still teaching me a lesson. And so I love, like, God uses our failures to grow our faith. And so we can all pray as this guy prayed, Lord, I have faith, but help my unbelief. I, ha- I do believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I do believe, but I am struggle here. This acknowledgement of like, Lord, I'm really struggling. I, I know that I have the capacity for more faith, but I'm not there yet. And I do think that God uses our failures to grow us. Uh, we're utterly dependent upon God for salvation, for life, for death, for, for everything. He, he is our all in all. And, and this week, as we go into Thanksgiving, the whole purpose of Thanksgiving, I think that this is the holiday that embodies Christianity because what it's supposed to embody is gratitude. And gratitude ultimately is giving thanks to God for all the, like he's provided us with everything. And even if we had nothing, which is the actual origin of Thanksgiving, is in the, the difficulty, in the hard times, you recognize how much God has provided for you. And then those who know God, those who love God, we recognize how much he has actually provided for us and how thankful we are uh, for him. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for this, uh, this story of um, this, this young boy that uh, just crippled with this demonic spirit that led him to these uh, violent and horrific seizures. I can only imagine the, the, the anguish of the father, the desperation of the father who... Um, to see his child in this way, uh, to see the failure of um, the disciples, to see the failure of everybody that he had gone to. I'm sure he's gone to everybody um, over the course of the child's life, and everybody failed him. And yet he went to you. And Father, we thank you for the lesson that's found in this man going to you. Lord, we thank you that you are capable to meet all of our needs. Um, Father, we look uh, to the example of this man and we ask you, uh, Lord, we do believe, um, but we do struggle also. And so we ask that you would increase our faith. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the example that was given to the, uh, or, or the, the example, the growth, the, the lesson that was given to the disciples about prayer. Uh, Father, we confess that so often in life we, uh, we try to push through in our own strength. We try to do things according to our own ability. And we're reminded in this passage that you desire us to seek you first and, and to, to be um, just that we would abide in the vine and that we would seek you by prayer in, in all things, Lord. Father, we pray especially that this week you would help us to be mindful of gratitude, um, that we would get better at giving you thanks in all things. Uh, we love you and we praise you. and We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.